Tonight, my heart was to preach a message on power, privilege, and possession. That was the title. The, the scripture was out of Ephesians 3. But as I mentioned around 540 this afternoon, God really gripped my heart. And I do believe that it's specific for where we are. I do believe it's specific maybe even for one individual tonight, this message. And we'll do our best to follow the Lord and understand that he does all things well. But tonight, I want to speak to the Christian with anxiety, to the Christian who has anxiety. And I want to speak directly to the issue you're having. I want to speak truth from the Word of God. I want to point to some realities that you're probably living in. And then you've got to understand at this point of the message that this is for people who are in the faith, people who are saved. There are privileges of being a Christian. Boy, if three people believe that. Amen. There are privileges to being a Christian. Amen. Amen. There are even privileges for us being American Christians. Amen. Our life is so much different than those that live in other places. Christians that live in places like Pakistan or in Malaysia. We have so much blessing. And for us, we have a real opportunity for some folks maybe that are dealing with anxiety or have dealt with anxiety to make some ground up. I preached a message over two and a half years ago about the war on anxiety and how it is a spiritual war. And tonight, that's where I want to start. Understand that your anxiety, that what you feel in your spirit, in your heart, and in your mind, that's where the battle is fought, that this is part of spiritual warfare. It's part of the plague of the human condition. Anxiety will always be in this world until Jesus comes and he puts evil in its final place of judgment, establishes his earthly kingdom, and things that are wrong are made right. Christian people can face and have and experience even sometimes daily anxiety. There are pastors who in love, sometimes I think maybe even in ignorance, will make statements like this. Well, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and you're on your way to heaven, then you don't need to talk to a doctor about anxiety. You don't need to talk to a doctor about depression. In love, those men are wrong. This is also, anxiety is yes, a circumstantial problem and issue, but anxiety and depression can also be a physiological issue where the brain actually changes. There are physical changes to the brain, the way you perceive, the way you think, the way you understand things. And sometimes folks have to go on medication for anxiety to be able to go to work, to function. Let me say this, please, for the love of God, keep taking your medicine. I praise God for people who know much better than I do, who are smarter, who understand the human brain and human emotion, thank God for them. This is not a message against anxiety pills. Okay, let's get that out of the way. But let me in love challenge you with this. Do we believe that there is more power and potential for the believer in the pill that you have to take daily or do you believe that there is power and potential more leaning into who God is and what he has for your life? Because there is no pill 
There is no regimen that you can take. There is no conversation with a psychotherapist that can touch what a believer can get from the word of God and through a life that is submitted to God as a living sacrifice to equip you like John Wayne with double six shooters against anxiety. I hate seeing a Christian who is gripped by fear. It is such a testament to where we are as a people, where we are on the timeline. We are getting close to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. And part of the play, part of the idea that Satan is obviously showing his hand so evidently on is that he will attack the minds of the faithful. That he will bring fear up to the surface in a way that we probably have not felt in this country since World War II. We are living in a moment in history, the perilous times that shall come in the last days, where fear is prevalent. Young people are, and for the most part, have always been enamored with scary things, scary movies, uh, going to a haunted farm and having some guy chase you around in a mask with a, a, a chainsaw. Not I, friend, not I. Number one, it's not safe for him to chase me with a chainsaw. <laughs> but there is an element of fear that the flesh desires. There is an element of fear that the flesh will allow itself to dive headfirst into. And if you're not careful, it will become a form of rebellion. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what I want to say to the Christian. Understand that this message on anxiety is for the Christian. If you're here and you're not saved, this is not how it will work for you. There are benefits to being in the kingdom of God. There is something to be said about how the Lord looks at his children and what's available to them. Uh, here's the truth about a Christian who's dealing with anxiety. I said it Sunday from the pulpit. It's okay not to be okay. But it is not okay to stay where you are. It's not okay to not get help. It's not okay for you to stay exactly where you are in this uh, realm of anxiety, this realm of fear, and to not come out of it. Something has to give, something has to change because you cannot do this in your own power. And what fear does and what anxiety does to the human being, and we're talking about science, we're talking about proven fact, that if you live in a fearful state, many things will happen even to your physical body. You will live with a heart rate that is higher. You will live with a blood pressure that is higher. You will live with sleep that is interrupted. You will live with relationships that are strained. And for a Christian, imagine being a Christian, blood-bought, born again, on the way to heaven, no fear of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? But so fearful, you feel like you can't go outside. So fearful that you can't even go to the mall anymore to pick up a Christmas gift. We live in a culture that promotes and that exercises fear daily in our culture. It's part of who we are. We are a fearful people. But what is the root of anxiety? What is that root? Let's turn to Isaiah 51.12. Let's look here at something that's said in Isaiah as an understanding for how God views anxiety. You see, here's what I believe and here's what I choose now in this moment to say and to claim over the believers that are here is that anxiety can be overcome for the believer. 
Let me say it again. Anxiety can be overcome for the believer. You can be better. You can get better with the help of the Lord, again, as a believer. The root of anxiety. Let's read this verse together, the 51st chapter of Isaiah, the 12th verse. It says, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. And here's the question that you're going to have to answer if you have anxiety, if you have worry and fear. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? God is saying in this moment, he's speaking and saying, who are you to be afraid? You say, well, that's not a, a very soft landing place. Again, the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is full of truth. This is like a honeycomb of goodness for your soul. And maybe we need in this moment to kind of be rattled and shaken just a little bit and realize that God has a flavor in his mouth as it pertains to, here it is, his children being anxious. God has a very particular way of looking at people who belong to him, who are in his kingdom, who are anxious. And he's looking at this, in this situation, he's looking and asking, who are you to be afraid of men? Who are you to be afraid of people who I can kill instantly, who I can make as grass? Who are you to question my ability? And if we're not careful, the root of anxiety will grow and it becomes a very deeper problem, a very deeper issue for the spiritual man. And what it becomes is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith or a lack of biblical perspective. Here's an issue that we see a lot in, in the church, and I'm talking about the church as a whole, in, in 2023. I've got my church me, and I've got my church ideals, and I've got my church talk and my church language with my church friends in my church circle. But then I've got the kind of relaxed me, that does life and, and thinks about bills at home and thinks about kids at school and thinks about relationships and, and people I like and people I don't like. And somehow we've gotten into the practice of splitting off our personalities, if you will. And we have this person that on Sunday and Wednesday is submitted to the Lord and, and I love the Lord and I, I want to worship him and I want to listen to the preaching. I want to say amen. I want to respond. But then I got to go home and pick up my burdens. Then I got to go home and I've got to figure all this out. And I'm going to get anxious because of the pressure that it mounts. Here's the problem. The person that's at church worshiping, sitting in a blue chair, thanking God, praising God, and in those moments of worship, inviting God into that moment should be the same person that's going home with all the pressure, with all the pain, with all the problems, with all the bills and relationships and children and saying, Lord, I invite you now into this moment. Because if you allow God only compartments of your life that make you feel comfortable for him to be at the top of the list, the priority of the list on only this hemisphere of who you are and what your family is, then this hemisphere of your family, this hemisphere of who you are will become a wreck. Why in God's name would you send your children to a school without praying about where they should go to school? 
I talked to a lady this week and a week before who is fasting and praying and searching and she's interviewing the schools because she wants to know that God wants her children to be in that school. Praise the Lord for someone that involved the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God and begged him for direction in this compartment of her life. Does God really want you to apply for that third American Express? Yeah, we don't like it when we start involving him in those places. Well, it's for the points. No, it's so that you can buy another gun and your wife not know about it. Personal experience. <laughs> but was God in it? And now what's funny is there's an opportunity to do something in the name of Jesus. And if you hadn't, if you hadn't gone down that road of just putting in your hand, your control, what you wanted right then, that snap reaction, if you invited the Holy Ghost of God in that moment, then you wouldn't be sitting at home biting your fingernails trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. We're talking about practical Christian living in 2023. It's still relevant, it's still available, and we can still do it and be anxiety-free, not because there are no problems. There are problems. Everybody say Amen. There are problems, there are issues, there are pains, there are, are bills that come. But how in the world are we going to do life and not involve the Lord Jesus? Sometimes the root of our anxiety, of our anxiety, is actually a root of rebellion and a lack of faith. God, I don't trust you enough. You don't have to say it, you prove it in your actions. He put it in your heart to give this amount on Faith Promise Sunday. Well, God, hey, but, but, I mean, this, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't work. This is where we put ourselves again in that driver's seat. And we flip the switch, which is like an EF5 tornado of anxiety. When the believer is outside of the perfect will of God, you will be anxious. You will. We say, well, I don't really like that. Well, it's the truth of God's word. He has a structure for his children. Remember, we're in the kingdom of God. Go read Matthew chapter five and tell me that there are not expectations for God's children to live a very particular way. It's a humble life. It's a lowly life of humility before God where every move I make, I make with the Lord God in mind. Every job that I take, every dollar that I spend, every dollar that I get in debt, I have to involve the Lord Jesus Christ. And really it turns into the pride of our anxiety. The pride of our anxiety. You see, pride will come from anxiety when you say this, I will figure this out. That is one of my favorite lines Oh, I'm telling on myself, I'm preaching in the mirror. That is one of my favorite lines ever. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. Maybe I can get a little Carhartt t-shirt with a pocket and have that and put on that t-shirt. I will figure this out. Miranda could tell you now, I'd say it in seven languages. I will figure this out. That's not what I should be saying. What I should be saying is, I will go to God, I will seek him for wisdom, and he will figure this out, and I will follow what he desires. That is the antidote to pride coming from our anxiety. Because the truth is, as Isaiah said, who are you? 
Who are you? Jeremiah the weeping prophet said the human heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all. Then he asked a question, who can know it? Who can know it? Who can control it? I will get me in a big mess quickly. And then I wind up anxious, nervous, scared, afraid, alone. And I feel separated from the joy of Christ. And that leads into this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. There is the root of anxiety, which is the lack of faith, a biblical perspective, the pride of our anxiety. Then there is the joy of fearing God. The joy of fearing God. People who live in the fear and the admonition of the Lord have a healthy view of who he is. If you fear God and you fear his principles and you fear what his word says, then you will have a healthy perspective of who he is and you will then understand just how powerful he really is. You're not going to get it all in this life. You're not going to understand the full capacity of God until you get to heaven. But in this life, because you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as you grow, he will reveal himself more and more and more to you and your heart. And those that live in the fear of the Lord find joy in that fear. How in the world is there joy in being afraid? How is there joy in fearing God? Because fearing God leads you to peace that passeth all understanding. I understand that God does not need me for this church to exist. Oh, no. I understand that God does not need me even on this earth to make his plan perfect in all his ways. I am but a little tiny ant in the hill of all time and eternity and it is my privilege and it is my joy to even know who he is and for him to know who I am and I fear who he is because he is holy and he is righteous and he is terrible in wrath and I fear him and in that I find joy. I find joy. There is great joy. It is a protection against anxiety. When the old accuser comes and he wants to make me feel afraid, all I have to do is remember who my God is and how much fear I have for him. And I don't have to point to my ability or my understanding. I can point at the cross and say, you booger, you don't know what you're talking about. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have to be afraid of you. It's like little Kevin from Home Alone. I'm not afraid anymore. Well, there's power in that. You don't have to be afraid. Everybody who believes it, say amen. amen. You don't have to be afraid. You do not have to fear tomorrow because in fear of the Lord and who he is and that knowledge, anxiety cannot belong at that same table. It's already full. There's too much fear of the Lord. There's too much joy of the Lord. There's too much understanding of grace and mercy and love. And there's no room at that table for anxiety if the fear of the Lord is in its place. The joy of fearing God. And then there is the fear conquering promises of God. The fear conquering promises of God. Growing in grace and knowledge. Growing in grace and knowledge will keep you from having stagnant water spiritually. If you're not growing in the grace and the knowledge 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that through prayer. We do that through reading. We do that through a lifestyle of consistency. And as you live that, it keeps the waters of your life and your soul and your spirit stirred up. It allows no sediment to settle in. There never can be satisfaction for a Christian that has a well with still water. What should be shaking up that well water is your bucket, your little pail, dropping from eight feet and hitting the water, splashing it and stirring it up as you go down with your little bucket to draw another bucket full of cold, clear water from a deep well called the Word of God. If you're happy with where you are spiritually and you're not reading the Bible, your water is stagnant and it's getting stinky. Stagnant water stinks. Go to Louisiana after the rains. Smell the sulfur deposits as they evaporate in the puddles. Nothing's stirring the water. Nothing's moving the water. It's just the same as it was yesterday. And now mosquitoes have laid eggs in it and it smells horrible. If you are working, if you are operating in this world in 2023 with your children, your life, your family, your husband, your wife, and your water is stagnant, imagine then taking a big gulp of that water and saying, mm, I'm going to make it. You won't make it. Your water's stagnant. If you're not careful, that water will poison you. If you're not careful, too much of that water will separate you from everything you've known and you'll say, well, something's wrong. The water doesn't taste good anymore. I've got to go find greener grass and better water. No, if you would just be faithful to do what God told you to do and put your little pail down in that well the best of your ability and ask God to help you grow in grace and knowledge, then he will fortify you and then you will not have to be afraid. Grow in the grace and the knowledge and stir up the water. And then you can live in the victory and not afraid, cowering behind a wall that you shouldn't even know exists. There is no wall for you to hide behind. You are a child. You are the son, a daughter of the Most High God. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. Go forward, live your life, live in the joy of the Lord, for he will be your strength. Go to James chapter 4. We'll start landing this plane. James 4. We'll read the first seven verses. This is, and you need to read. I, here lately, once a month, I find myself reading James. It's so relevant for us today. James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may, be, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now, Verse number four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Verse six says, but he giveth more grace. 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the, what? Humble. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The reason some people cannot get over their anxiety is because they simply in their pride, and if they're not careful, their rebellion will not let go of it and give it to God and lay it at his feet. So let's continue on this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Satan fleeing you. You having victory over your flesh and over the spiritual warfare of this day is dependent on your action, but in God's power. Satan fleeing you and you conquering flesh, you conquering fear, you conquering sin is dependent upon you. God did not save robots. He saved people, human beings. And he saved them knowing full well that they were fractured, that they had emotions that were volatile. He saved them anyway. And he allowed them to come into his kingdom. And before time and eternity, he said, I want them. Even knowing who they were and their fractures and their failures and all the anxiety they would bring with them. Yet he loved them anyway. He loves you enough to require of you to get victory that you would first submit yourself. I love this verse. I love it. I love the second part. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse seven is a great verse, but you can't just read that part of the verse. You got to get the first part of the verse first. Submit yourself therefore to God. That's the key. Do you want to get over it? You want to move on? You want to have power? You want to have control over your emotions and your flesh? The first step is submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submit. And some people think it's in verse 8 that that's the problem. That's the first step, if you will. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. The truth is you're not going to understand what God wants for your life, what he desires of your life, if you're living anxiously, afraid, always on the outside looking in. For you to get victory, and I would even dare say for you to be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge, you're going to have to submit everything to him. Submit. It means to fall underneath something, that word does. It means that there's something above you that's controlling things that you cannot control. We love to be in control. We love to figure it out. We love the maths and the sciences and understanding processes. There are some things in this life you will not be able to understand. And you'll have to submit. Say, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. God, it even makes me mad. Some people in this room just need to have an honest conversation with the Lord. He already knows how you feel. He already knows. And say, Lord, I'm mad. I don't get it. But I submit. Your will be done. What do you think Jesus had to do in the garden of Gethsemane prior to his crucifixion? Not my will, but thy will be done. And he submitted to the will of the Father so that the Father could be glorified and that you could have a way out. And if 
some of you would just get to this point where you take it out of your hands and lay it at his feet and say, God, I can't get them. I can't, I can't make my children love you. I've tried. I did everything I knew to do. And I don't know. So I submit. And I'll live it in front of them. And I'll pray for them. And I'll fast for them. But you'll have to do it. Because I can't. God, that family member that is living in sin that I cannot make see the truth. That I can't make see the light. Boy, I, I wish I could fix it. I, if you'd let me say the words, I know what to say. No. Submit. Submit. Then resist temptation. Resist fear. Resist whatever your flesh brings up. And then Satan will flee from you. There's something about conquering what used to keep you afraid. There's something about being able to stand in front of even your peers and your brothers and your sisters in Christ and saying, this used to be a point of a problem. This used to be an issue for my life. But now, because greater is he that is in me, I'm no longer afraid and I've moved on. Doesn't mean I don't war. Doesn't mean that I don't have a fight or a struggle. But I have filed it underneath and submitted it to the Lord. Five ways anxiety wins. I'm going to give you this quick. We've just got a few minutes. Five ways anxiety wins. I'm going to give you these fast. Number one, we're settling for a reality where anxiety is the norm. You're settling for a reality where daily anxiety is a normal for you. Can I invite you tonight to no longer allow that to be the case? Don't just put it to the side and say, well, that's just part of who I am. No, it doesn't have to be part of who you are. You can get over this issue with the help of the Lord. Don't surrender to anxiety as the normal for a safe person. The two don't belong in the same house. Number two, we've confused being uncomfortable from conviction of sin with anxiety. We have confused being uncomfortable from conviction of sin with anxiety. Let me just say this in love. You cannot feel right until you are right. If you have hidden sin in your life that is separating you from a walk with God that he requires, not your pastor, not the church, not Baptist doctrine, what the word of God, what thus saith the Lord, what his requirement is. If there's something you're harboring in your life, a secret sin, and you're dealing with anxiety, my first question and my first plea would for you to get right with God before we talk about anxiety. Because God loves you enough to make you miserable. And to make food taste bad and a bed that you paid $10,000 for that you can put all kinds of numbers and go up and down with it and heat it and it make you your own little chocolate chip cookie. Those beds are great. But if you're not right with God and you belong in the kingdom of God, that bed will do nothing for you. There's something about being right with God and fearing God that really puts anxiety in its place. You can't feel right until you are right. Thirdly, we've oversaturated influences. We've, we've oversaturated ourselves with influences 
that set unrealistic expectations. If you're finding yourself strolling Facebook for an hour at a time, looking at other people's houses, looking at other people's lives, and going, oh, I wish, oh, I wish my laundry room was that big. I wish my truck had that lift on it. I work harder than he does. I bet his daddy bought him that truck. I've heard it. And what you'll do is you'll sit at home in your house that's warm and dry that God gave you and you'll sit on your phone and look at Facebook with people who are not really your friend and you'll envy what they have and you'll work yourself up and you'll think, well, if I can work five or six more shifts, I can save, save my money and squirrel away and then maybe I can have that house or I can have that truck or I can have that boat or I can have that vacation or I can have that lifestyle. You put whatever there you want. If you're oversaturating yourself with things that give you unrealistic expectations, then maybe the reason that you're anxious. Can we not be content with what God's already given us? Can we not be content with the goodness and the mercy of God that's already been lavishly set at our feet? Be careful with what you feed yourself. If you feed your flesh instead of feeding the spiritual man that lives on the inside of you, then expect to be anxious. Expect it. Fourthly, we are guilty for having anxiety. And really, that's the cycle. That's how it builds we're guilty for having anxiety. This again, this is how it grows. This is how it becomes a spiral. When it starts to affect your family, when it starts to affect your relationships, when anxiety robs you from being the mom that you want to be or the dad that you want to be, then the guilt comes. And the accuser knows and he loves to point to things to make it feel like it's all your fault. And maybe the truth is some of it is your fault. But until you love yourself enough to say, Lord, I can't do it. Until you love what the Lord has done in you to know what confidence and authority you have and lay it at his feet. You'll never get over being anxious and you'll always be guilty for what it costs you. Some people in this room need to reclaim some relationships tonight. And say, I will no longer allow anxiety to overwhelm me and control my life as a Christian mother, as a Christian father, as a Christian friend. And I will reclaim the territory that I've lost. And I'll trust God for every step that I take, every step that I make. Then lastly, we make a choice. We make a choice. And some people, sadly, will choose to listen to the lies to listen to what the devil says, what the enemy says. And then they'll invite him to have a seat permanently at the table. If you're a mother or father, if you have children living in your home, no matter how old they are, no matter what point of life they're in, if anxiety is robbing you of very particular aspects of your life and you have said things to your children, be very Listen to me very carefully here. I want to try to help somebody. Adults, be very careful what you tell your teenage children you're dealing with. If you're dealing with anxiety as a mom, be very cautious telling your 14-year-old daughter that you're 
anxious, that you are dealing with anxiety. That's your 14-year-old daughter. That's not your friend. That's your daughter. We can't put the pressures of life on young children, on teenagers who themselves are learning to deal with life and then look at mommy, look at daddy and say, well, mommy and daddy have problems. What it will do will rock the foundation of stability in the home. And it will be an inroad for the enemy to grab your child at a young age. Well, if mommy has anxiety, then I must have it too. You be very careful about how much information that you're dealing with personally as an adult to your children and your teenagers. Because the devil does not fight a fair game. That's why the communication between a husband and a wife is paramount in the home. And if you two aren't talking, and if you two aren't kissing, and if you two aren't loving, and if you two don't have a healthy enough relationship that you can't look at your husband, you can't look at your wife and say, I'm anxious, then call your mama, not your child. Because the devil will use it to grip them and to even give them an opportunity to look at you differently that sometimes will come out as rebellion. Well, I don't have to listen to you. You have problems. You keep the integrity of your parent position as wholesome and as clean and as right with God as you possibly can and protect the home. The human emotions, the human heart is the war that we're fighting. And as we live and as we grow in the grace and the knowledge, God will reveal more of this, more of this to us as we grow. And he'll give us what we need. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Please know that everything I said tonight, I say in love. And I say with a heart that is concerned. But I say it with the confidence and the authority that there's not a single saved person in this room that has to leave with the same heavy baggage that you had. Doesn't mean it's all going to get better tonight, but it's never going to get better until you step out in faith and lay it at his feet. I don't normally do this on a Wednesday night, but I will. I'll be honest. I'm just being obedient to the Lord, what he wants for our service tonight. No one looking around, no one observing the crowd as we poll. But is there any Christian here tonight in the room that would say, Pastor, thank you for preaching the message. The message was for me tonight. I'm dealing with anxiety in my life or in my home. Would you just be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Hands all over. Praise the Lord. Hands literally all over the building. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to give any more invitation. We're just going to open up the altar. And anyone that raised their hand, anyone that didn't even have the strength to raise their hand, I want you to come pray. But I don't want you to wait. I want you to step out right now. Everybody that just raised their hand, step out. Nobody's looking. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to bother you. Just step out. Every hand that just went up. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with anxiety. There were dozens of hands that went up. Step out. Step out. Every hand that went up. Every hand. Deacons that are here in the building. Pastors that are here. I want you to find somebody. I want you to lay hands on them. And I want you to pray in power that God will encourage them. Remember, this message tonight is for Christians. If you're here tonight and you're lost and you're undone and you have anxiety, what a night it would be to get that ultimate anxiety under the blood of Jesus Christ and get your eternity secure. There is no anxiety like the worry of eternity. And every man and every woman in this room will spend eternity somewhere. 
If you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, come to the altar. Talk with one of these deacons or the pastors. We'll take the word of God and show you what it means to be saved. We'll just let the piano play. And these pray. And ask God to do what only he can. Please make sure nobody's praying by themselves. I may need a couple of ladies over here if we can. Holy Father, to the best of our ability, we've tried to be obedient to what you put in our heart for tonight's service. Lord, as we said just a few minutes ago, you do all things well. You know exactly what we need when we need it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, for the Christians that are in this altar, for those that were not even able to come that are dealing with anxiety. God, I pray that tonight you would restore my brother Restore my sister in Christ. And God, that they would remember the first love, the moment of salvation where you saved them from their sin. And God, that they would live in the confidence and the authority of thus saith the Lord of God. And that the fear-conquering promises of the Word of God would be forever prevalent in their mind and in their life. God, help them to remember a verse. Help them to remember a song of encouragement. This week as they live their life, God, I pray that as the moment of fear comes, God, that they will stand with a backbone of steel and stand up straight against the wiles of the devil, the temptation of fear, and look at the devil in the face with confidence and authority given to them by God and live in the joy and the fear of God, but not the fear of man or the fear of death or the fear of being alone. Lord, I pray that this moment would be a line in the sand for every person that prayed. Be with those that were unable to come forward. Be with the one that is so depressed, so anxious, they cannot even pray. God, help us to be the church and the people we need to be. Be with our children, our teenagers next door. As no doubt the enemy fights a war of anxiety early, early in their life. Protect them. And God will be faithful to give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. We ask you now to be with our power conference in a few weeks. We ask you to be on the Lord's Day services. Meet with us in a mighty way. Meet the needs of the church. And God, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. It's in the name of Christ the church prayed. Amen and amen. We're not going to rush anyone that's still praying. You pray till you have peace. If you were watching or worshiping online tonight and you would like to have somebody pray with you. You can email us info at tbcashville.org. That's info at tbcashville.org. And somebody from the office tomorrow will reach out. Uh, there are a lot of good Christians that live in Western North Carolina that this is their church and they cannot get in this building for one reason or another. There are some folks, listen to me now, there are some folks 
that depend on what comes from this pulpit and this church who have to worship online, who have, because of death in a family, lifestyle change because of that death, cannot afford the gas money. Can't afford the gas money to come sit in the seat that you're sitting in tonight. And I think that we should walk into this building every opportunity that we have and give God everything that we possibly can with an open heart, with a grateful heart that I even get to be in the building. Praise the Lord. And if you're watching, you're worshiping online tonight, we're here for you. You are not by yourself. You're not alone. And we're here for you. We'll do all that we can. Well, there's some there still praying. You very quietly and tenderly exit tonight. Go get your children and enjoy your week with no fear, no worry, and no anxiety as a child of God. Good night. God bless you. Please be safe. See you on the Lord's Day.